welcome to Taiwan Talk, where we share the stories of people living in Taiwan. I'm Trevor Tortomasi, and joining me in the studio today is Jean-Jacques Chen, otherwise known as JJ, who is a French-Belgian Taiwanese artist and a longtime veteran of the industry of animation. JJ, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, so first off, uh, can you tell us about some of the projects um, that you've worked on over the years? I basically studied uh, animation when I was in Belgium. So after that, mm -hmm. I came straight up here in Taiwan for working on some studio uh, jobs. So first off, uh, I started like small. So as a freelance uh, animation director and I did a few music videos. Um, afterwards, they invited me to work on um, pre-production and post-production of a TV series and a and, uh, feature film. So okay. that was pretty cool. We can also put a link in the description of the podcast for people to find it if it's somewhere on the internet. No, unfortunately. No, <laughs> it's gone, lost It's gone, lost forever. Okay. <laughs> no, there, there are some stuff, but uh, but most of them are, are very bad quality because it was uh, done in 2008, 2009, before the advent of HD on, on YouTube. So the, the quality is pretty janky. Well, you, JJ, have mm -hmm. worked in both Taiwan and Belgium and, and France a little yeah. bit. Uh -huh. So um, with, with all this sort of pre-production, production, post-production post knowledge of how animation works and is put together, uh, what are the biggest differences you've seen in each of these places that you've worked, maybe in the animation industry? Well, every, every place obviously has very different uh, ways of working. In Taiwan, even though I, I worked for a few years in Taiwan, I don't know that much the industry here. Uh, because it's very well guarded. Like, like basically, when I was at, at the studio I was working at, I very much wanted to to connect with a lot of the the people in the in the industry in Taiwan. But my boss at the time guarded me under his wing. Like, he really like completely shielded me from any other connection. Because at the time, apparently, there was quite a lot of poaching going around. Mm. Uh, so a lot of studios were kind of like poaching other studios' talents. Taiwan has a very interesting uh, story in the animation world, uh, worldwide industry. For a long time, Taiwan. One was actually a very big helping hand to Disney. Actually, like uh, all the the animation from the, the the Disney Renaissance era from the 90s, ever since uh, Little Mermaid to Aladdin, Lion King, Mulan, all the the movies of that period, the production was actually done in Taiwan. So obviously, like the pre-production, all the character design, the storyboards, the, the scripts, all of these were done in Disney as well, uh, to begin with, uh, in, in LA. But most of the animation process and the coloring and the background, all of this stuff uh, has been done in Taiwan. And so Taiwan has been a very big helper of big customers like Disney or even the Japanese studios as well for over two, three decades, I think, from uh, the 80s up to the, the 2000s. And then Toy Story happened. And when Toy Story happened, basically Disney just thought, okay, that's it. That's the future of animation. We're going to get rid of all the 2D hand-drawn animation contents that we're, we're doing, we've been doing for the past like 60 years. Uh, and we're going to co solely focus on all the CG uh, animation stuff. So they basically cut ties with almost all uh, their studios worldwide. Like Taiwan was not the only studio uh, that was working with Disney. They had also dis studios like all over Europe mm -hmm. uh, and all over the US. And all of them just basically shut down one after the other. So the Taiwanese industry was kind of on a tight deadline and they had to kind of like readapt themselves uh, or die, basically. And unfortunately, like Hong Kong Studio, they tried to adapt, they tried to make their own feature film. But at the same time, the problem is that they were very good at the crafts of production, of animation, 
but none of them was actually good at directing a movie. They didn't really have uh, the, the storytelling chops, the being at the seat of the leader rather than just the follower. And because of that, they tried to make a very big movie uh, in, in Taiwanese standards. It was uh, Hong Hai, 2005. Yeah. So that movie was basically one of the chapter of uh, The Journey to the West with Song Kong. The main character was the son of Niu Mo Wang. So it's like Hong Hai, the red sun, basically. And that was a movie that was very well animated. Like the art was, was great uh, for, for Taiwanese animation. I, I feel like it's one of their best. But unfortunately, the movie itself was not really that great. Like the story itself was not that compelling. And it just completely bombed at the box office here, which basically sent the studio like bankrupt. Uh, so a lot of the alumni of this studio are now either teaching at uh, Beita, for example, uh, or some of them have recreated some smaller scale studios. So now Taiwan is kind of, they don't really have big studios anymore. They only have like small to medium sized studios and it's kind of like scattered. So there's a lot of competition and, and everybody is kind of like very cordial, very friendly, but at the same time, each one kind of like wants like draw the blanket to themselves yeah. so it's a little bit hard to to really have a unified front if you want to make like a full-on made in taiwan animation for example mm. and more recently one of the best example of uh, of the taiwanese animation was uh, on happiness road i don't know if you've heard about this movie it's, i'm not as familiar now it was an animation movie that was done in 2000 i think 17 that came out 2017 or 2016 and it was a long-standing passion project from the the director who's normally a live action director and it was her first animation movie obviously there's a lot of things that she didn't really know how to do but she did surround herself with some really talented young people that really wanted to to help her make this story the the main character was actually dubbed by Kui Mei which apparently when she read the script, she, she, she broke down in tears and, and said that, okay, this is the kind of story I want to help and ask the director if she could be the, the lead actress. So that obviously helps the, the making of the movie, like the, the funding process. Right. But in the end, even though the movie was great, I really enjoyed it. I felt like story-wise, this movie was really like one of the best movies that Taiwan has ever done. Sadly, it also bombed at the box office because by that time, Taiwan kind of has this very quirky situation in the animation industry is that right now it sits in between three giants of animation like Japan obviously which is one of the top two uh, countries in the world in the animation industry but also South Korea which is also extremely strong and also China which is like on the rise and, and putting some extremely good content right now so Taiwan is kind of like the the, <laughs> the middle kid <laughs> in between because of that the Taiwanese audience never really have any sort of trust into made in Taiwan animation. Everybody is just so familiar with Japanese animation, obviously, uh, but also now like South Korean and, and even now more like the, the Chinese uh, animation. So basically, if your own people in your own country don't support your movie, who will? What do you think needs to happen for Taiwan to have another big project that does better? I would say the talent is here. It's not really a problem of Taiwan not having uh, enough talent because I, I've been teaching at uh, TNUA for two years. So I've seen some of the students there. I know the potential is there. I, I know that some of them can very easily become like the, the talents of, of Taiwan. What is lacking right now is funds, like fundings, like the, the government does have some some funds for animation projects, but I feel like it kind of like is a drop in the ocean compared to a country like South Korea, for example, or China, which have like much, much, much bigger budget and much bigger like fundings. Japan is kind of like a, a different 
based on its own because they don't really have a lot of fundings. They, they really operate at, at a loss, basically. Uh, the animators are not paid very well, which is like leading to a lot of burnout there. And Taiwan is kind of like a little bit in the middle of that. Like the, the fare are probably a little bit better than in Japan, but it's still not much compared to the workload. So it, it's very much uh, like the industry here is still very much, from what I, I've heard and what I felt uh, firsthand, it's still very much exploitative. It kind of like works people to death, not just in the animation industry, but I would say animation being a very work intensive uh, work to begin with, it's it's making it even worse. So, I, so that's like one thing. I'd like to see some changes in Taiwan's work culture. But. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at the same time, uh, I would say definitely fundings, budgetings. Like we we need more gutsy. Gutsy you know, producers, like gutsy producers who are not afraid to take a loss. Okay, basically people who are confident in their talent, confident in the originality and the personality and the the, the message uh, of their directors or of the scriptwriters, and who are um, confident in taking a risk, basically to uh, put up more personal stories, uh, more stories that could relate to a lot of people. Basically, a lot of producers right now here, from, from what I've seen in Taiwan, they all want to have a Pixar-level mo movie, a Disney-level movie, but they don't want to give the money to, to make it. And unfortunately, that's a sad reality of animation. It takes a lot of money. Like, it costs. It's a very costly medium to, to produce um, because it needs so many people to work on it, so many very specialized people, and you have to pay them for like two to five years. I'm not even mentioning about the computers, the gears, the, the softwares, which come into account. So yeah, you, you get into easily into the tens, if not hundreds of millions of NT per movie. And so it does seem like most animated series and films um, are working more and more efficiently every year, mm -hmm. but how feasible, if at all, is it to animate something alone? Uh, it kind of depends what you want to do. If you want to do a short, for example, it's possible. You, you'll spend a few months, if not a year, doing it on your own. Everything between two minutes to like 10 minutes, I think, with, with the technology today, it's kind of possible to do it on your own. But if you want to do a series or a feature film, that's going to be a lot harder. Like Basically, you really need uh, the help of a studio and much bigger budget. Animation in itself is already a very interesting art because it's basically the art that synthesizes all the others. It's um, you have to to be good at drawing, obviously, like uh, drawing art, but also your photography skills must be good because you have to play with the lights. You have to do the mise en scène, you know, like the direct mm -hmm. uh, to craft a, a whole uh, scene. Uh, you have to be a good actor because you have to like make your characters believable. It basically, a good animation. A good animator knows that he's done his job well. If the character that he's drawn like thousands of frames off, if nobody is questioning that this character is alive, like if people are, are like crying at the delivery, at the performance of the character that he's drawn, and not a single time they feel like it's been well animated, mm. uh, if the animation process go completely into background, then you know that you've done a good job. In animation, we have a lot of different subcategories of division of labors, basically. There's not just animation. You also have like storyboard, for example, that comes in the pre-production. So I I'm going to just break it down a little bit. In the process of an animation, you have like three main, should I say, three main um, zones? That categories? Of, of categories, yeah, of work. The first one is the pre-production, and then you have the production, and then you have the post-production. So the pre-production is at the core of the project. So it basically, it's the writing of the script, it's the character design, the background design, the environment design, like the whole world building, basically. 
and all the colors, uh, design as well, like the, the color palette of the movie. And once you got everything, all of this sorted out, then you do the storyboard. Uh, the storyboard basically is putting all the designs that you've got, mixing them with the script, and then you draw basically a sort of a comic book of all the shots of the movie. Like it's the shot list, basically, uh, as, as the filmmakers would, would say. So in animation and in filmmaking, storyboards are a pretty big thing, like uh, a lot of people need them, but there's one main difference between filmmaking live and, uh, and animation is that in animation, the storyboard is not only big, you have to have a storyboard. If you don't have a storyboard, you have no movie, which is pretty big difference with the f like live filmmaking with basically a lot of uh, directors or DP, they, they basically completely bypass the storyboard. They just want a shot list and that's it. And they, they talk it out with the, the, the DP, the director of photography, and they kind of like sort it out themselves uh, on the spot. Like they, they can sort it off on the day of the shooting if they want. They can sort of improvise They can improvise, shots yeah. There, there's much there. more improvising uh, rooms for, uh, for live filmmaking uh, than for animation. So yeah, this is just a pre-production. And once you have all of these, then you can start the production. And the production is all about, once you have your storyboard, then you have to animate all the characters. You have what, what we call the rough animations. And then you have the cleaning of the animations. So all, all the framings, you have to actually basically like, uh, well, clean them, like ink them, basically. Yeah. Uh, then you have the coloring of all the, the animated frames. You have also all the, the layout as well. So like the layout is basically the clean version of the storyboard. So it's like the final uh, look of the shot. It's not animated yet, but at the very least, the main key poses, what we call key poses in animation, is all the most important frames of the animation, the most defining ones. And then we kind of link them with what we call the in-between animations. So when you say like the defining moments of animation, are you talking about like at this exact moment, he needs to be standing on top of a cliff in like a superhero pose? Exactly. And then getting to that pose is the linking. Yeah. And um, when you have um, someone who's throwing a punch, for example, you have like three to four key poses. Like the first key pose is basically uh, the, mm. the fighting stance. Then you have the anticipation. What we call the anticipation is when basically when the punch is the furthest back. And then you have the, the actual punch itself uh, that goes completely uh, forward. And then you have the, um, the final pose, which is basically like uh, going back to the fighting stance uh, pose. So those are the, the four key poses. And everything that comes between all those framings are called in-betweens. Hmm. So that's the process of animation in itself. So you have to do all of these rough and then the cleaning and then the coloring for each, every single drawing. Uh, this is part of the production. So once this is completed, we get to the post-production, which is basically um, like you have, you've got the compositing, uh, which is basically putting all the animated characters with all the colors, the ink, the, the clean lines and, and so on and so on. And you put them together with the background. And then you add some uh, lighting effects, some color grading and um, some VFX. So basically the compositing is the visual equivalent of mixing for a musical industry. If we kind of like try to, to talk about like live action filmmaking, it's kind of the equivalent of camera operator, uh, DP, basically. That's mm -hmm. why the Japanese call it actually photography instead of compositing. So it's, it's a very fun job. Like uh, I've been doing it for, for a few years now. And uh, I've been watching cartoons for 33 years and I didn't know any of this. Yeah. Stuff, so, <laughs> it's uh, just to tell you like how, how many different ca categories of work uh, go into just making an animation. Like most of the people don't 
don't have any idea yeah. uh, how much work and how much time it takes to, to make an animation. They don't really think too much about it. Like they, they, they think, oh yeah, I just watched this animation that lasted like for like one hour and a half and stuff like that. It must not be so hard to make it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, in average, an animation, be it a movie or a series, it takes five years. Five years yeah. for a feature film. For a feature film or for series, uh, well, series can be faster than that because they have uh, deadlines to to get with with televisions. Seems like a series would also be much more receptive to like maybe reusing some. Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You can you can recycle some some animations. Mm. And then for the voicing, all the voicing happens when the animation is 100% complete. Or do do some studios nowadays do they change maybe characters' mouths to fit a little more depending on the voicing or? Okay, so that's a little bit tricky because there's different schools for that. Like the American schools, for example, like Disney, DreamWorks, and all the big studios, they actually like to record all the voice acting before the animation. So basically, they already have either the script, like all the dialogues are already done, and the storyboard. They give the storyboards to the, to the actors, and then the actors have to perform like their, their voice uh, acting for the whole like the whole movie, basically. But they have they don't really have much image to, to really like uh, base themselves on. Like they really have to use their imagination. Mm. And once they perform this, afterwards the animators actually kind of base their themselves to from the voice to perform themselves like the, the, uh, with the animation. So an animator is actually, it's an actor. You, you must be an actor to be an animator, actually. You must have good acting skills. Maybe not necessarily facial acting, but at the very least in your mind, you have to know exactly how your character is going to move depending on the voice and what type of movement, what type of design kind of like fits that voice, fits the, the tone of that voice. And the directing, it, when knowing when to cut or when how many frames to make a pose, because you can't just have something, an animation go on too long, right? You have to sure. know when to like stop each animation or stop each picture and go to the next picture too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that, that actually comes from the storyboard. So the, the American way and, and also now the, the European way of animation, they actually like to have the um, all the voices prior to the animation because then they can already kind of make a uh, rough cut of the, uh, the, the voice acting. So we have the timing down that doesn't change anymore. And then you can basically take the storyboard, slap it on the voice, uh, on the editing of the, the voice, and then you have what we call an animatic. So it's basically an animated storyboard. And then you have like the advantage of this is that you have all the timing down. Basically, the editing of a movie, uh, of a live action movie, it happens once everything is shot. It happens really like at the back end of the post-production. In animation, it almost happens at the pre-production. Uh, so it happens really like at the, at the time where you have all your voice down, uh, you have your, your storyboard and you, you make basically the editing of the movie at the animatic. We you want to know exactly which boxes to fill. Well, you can film for an hour and just cut it into the, like the most useful three minutes. Yeah. But with animation, you don't have time to animate any more than exactly, exactly. how much you're going to use. Exactly. Because yeah. in animation, both in animation and in live filmmaking, the frame rate is usually 24 frames per second. And in animation, basically, most of the time, we kind of double the frame rate, so that makes it like 12 frames per second, uh, because we have double image in each like second, so that 24 frames per second, you basically divide it by two, uh, so that we, we, we kind of divide the workload by, by half, which is quite a big deal. And that's why when you watch a 2D animation, hand-drawn animation, most of the time, it feels a little bit like choppy, 
we don't really pay attention to it because we've been so used to it. Uh, but most of the time, if you really pay attention to it, like uh, a movie that illustrates this very beautifully is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was a really interesting movie because it was done CG, but it tried to emulate the 2D look. And not just about the look, but also even at the frame rates. Like most of the time, if you watch a Pixar movie or a DreamWorks movie, they work in 24 frames per second, like in a live action movie, because the, the computer can kind of like generate the in-betweens so you can have very smooth action. Uh, but in trying to emulate the 2D style of animation, they actually toned down the frame rates back to 12 frames per second. And at that time, you kind of feel like it's a little bit choppy, but at the same time, it sells more that illusion that it has been done by hand. But and yeah, sorry. We still uh, need that illusion today. Yeah, exactly. And and it gives it more illustration book uh, look to it, which was fantastic. But just very quickly, yeah. I'm going back to your question about the recording of the voice. So the Japanese school is different. Like they actually want to have all the animation done and then only they, they, they invite the dubbing actors to dub their voice over the animation, which is like, it, it's very, it's two completely radically different uh, styles of, uh, of recording the voice. Well, if I'm imagining um, like an anime, animation style, mm -hmm. uh, the mouth doesn't seem to be matching every single exactly. plosive and yeah. labiodental fricative and mm -hmm. stuff like that that people are pronouncing. So yeah. I imagine it must be easier to voice after. I would say it's it's really two different schools. There's not really like uh, one that is better than the other. For me personally, I would prefer to have the sound uh, before, to have the sound prior to the animation, because sound, and by sound I, I include music, uh, has a rhythm. Image doesn't. Like the image, you can you can cut it all the way you want. Like you can you can have the rhythm that you want, but in music it functions by beats. And the thing is. People can watch a movie silently with, with just uh, the, the the random editing and some erratic rhythm. They won't really feel too janky. But if you put a music and the beat is not there, people will automatically listen, like hear it. Because beat is just such a, a universal thing, you know? And I kind of feel like the sound has to work a little bit as the time architecture of uh, the animation. Because the animation is so free, it's so random, you, you can do everything you want. It kind of needs a little bit of structure at first to, to feel solid afterwards. Which project or piece of work are you most proud of? Uh, so far, personally, I've done a, a music video 12, 13 years ago called Asia River. Uh, so that one, I can send the link down below. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> the, the podcast description. Um, so yeah, so basically this is a music video that I've done for a friend of mine who's a DJ here called DJ Code. And um, back in the day, we actually met each other at a launch that was called China White, I think. And it was really cool because like, you see my look, like I basically look like I'm coming from a Chinese Kung Fu movie. He was looking exactly the same. But with glasses, okay. <laughs> so the mustache, the beard, the long hair, and you the Chinese girl, like katana-shaped umbrella. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So, <laughs> so basically, when 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 we met each other, it was like we felt like we were in front of a mirror. And one of my purposes is to make a TV series or a feature film with Chinese painting, but animated. So like trying to blend in like the traditional Chinese art with the nowadays technology with animation. And he basically was mixing 
electronic music, but with Chinese instruments in them. So when we met, we really like felt like we were in front of a mirror from each other, except I was in the visual and he was in the musical department. So basically we, we, we just discussed, okay, yeah, we, we have to do something together. And three months later, we d- we've done this music video. And that was probably the, the work that I'm still at to this day, the, the proudest of, uh, of what I've done. That's so awesome, far. man. Well, then how about if money or time wasn't an issue? It always is. Oh, yeah. uh, but <laughs> sure. what would you really like to what kind of animation project would you really like to put out into oh. the world so right now the thing is i've been working for a lot of uh, other projects like other studios and other people's project but at the same time i'm a director myself uh, that's what i studied for and apart from this music video that i just mentioned i'd never really had the opportunity to stretch my legs and, and flex my muscles into the directing department by myself so now that I'm kind of like getting aged up and uh, I'm 42 right now. Uh, You're so, so old. Yeah, I'm so old. I'm, <laughs> I'll be there I'm soon. I'm so Gen X. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, the thing is, I kind of really want to stop not wasting my time, but giving my time away to uh, other production. I really want to, to start like doing my own stuff. Uh, and over the past decade, I've always wanted like uh, I've had like at least five uh, series brewing in my head. So I've got like five different concepts, five different stories uh, that I'd want to make series out of it or maybe movies if, if it fits better into the movie format. And what uh, comes first there? A pilot and then maybe... Sure, yeah. Uh, obviously at first it's... Uh, you ha- I have to, to write down the scripts uh, because I never really had the... took the time to, to really like sit down and, and write them all down. I have the concept. So uh, that I re- I've written down already. First the script, then the character design then the storyboards and if possible if i have time to try to uh, find some producers and some some studios who are willing to help me actually produce one of the those pilots and then go to animation festival all over the world send it there and and try to uh, represent it like try to find more people who would be interested into producing it or helping sponsor it it's it's a lot of work, but for all the work that is done that people can see right now, what kinds of uh, animated series or films would you most recommend? Top two or three, there's so much. It's, it's kind of it's it's very hard to, to pin it down. I, I would limit myself to uh, the stuff that came out recently. Uh, I would say Puss in Boots 2, The Last Wish, really? is fantastic. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's one of the top five DreamWorks movies of all time. Whoa! Yes, I, I would say I would go on record and say that one uh, from Puss in Boots. You know, like of all characters, <laughs> of all characters. <laughs> of all characters, a side story, like a side character that that well was fun in Shrek Two, obviously, but it was just a side character. You know, wow. and, and they made a whole franchise out of it. The first one was okay, but the second one. Man, it's one of the best. It's definitely one of the absolute best animation movie that came out in 2022. Okay. Uh, Would you like to name another movie to stand against Puss in Boots 2? Or do you want to leave um, that with your recommendation of the day? I don't know if it's still in theater right now, but uh, I also really enjoyed uh, the first Slam Dunk. Uh, Slam Dunk. Slam Dunk is uh, a manga from the 90s uh, about basketball. And um, it was uh, one of the, the cult manga and anime uh, of, of that era in the 90s. And right now, there's the, the, the author of the manga actually co-directed an animation movie, which is CG. But visually, it looks a lot like the manga. It's very artistic. Like basically, Puss in Boots also has this. Like it's also a, a CG movie, but that, that like Spider-Verse, as I mentioned before, it also takes a very big effort into trying to make it look as if it was a children's book like an illustrated book or painting book. So the texture and the visual arts, the visual directing of these two movies are 
fantastic, absolutely awesome. I'm not a big fan of basketball myself. I never watched NBA matches, but this movie really made me invest into that, that yeah. basketball match. We're there for the, the highlight reels, I would say. How about any final thoughts? Just favorite Pixar movie? Pixar, one of the last that really caught my attention was Turning Red. And it's a shame that it, it came out only on Disney+, Plus because it really is a movie that you can feel it was designed to, to be enjoyed on an IMAX screen, like on the biggest screen possible. It's not necessarily the best Pixar out there, but I would say that it's the most personal. It's the one that really is targeting like Asian Americans, you know, or Asian Canadians or Asian from abroad. And to that demographics, which is still quite a big demographic all over the world, it really hits a raw nerve. Like mm. it, it really is a movie that really speaks to all of us, all the, the struggles of the second gen Asian migrants family, not just the cultural shock, but also the generation shock uh, between the parents and, and the, the kids can be shown in, in some very accurate ways into this movie. And it was beautifully said. I completely um, agree. That movie was, uh, that movie blew me away too. Finally, is there anything you'd like to say to the upcoming creative and artistic minds of Taiwan? Uh, I would say I see a lot of very promising talents leaving Taiwan because of lack of opportunities here. And I can completely understand them. Like I'm also sometimes one of them as well because I did work here for a long time and I got burned out at some point. I, I stopped completely doing animation because it was way too hot into an industry. Like w when you work in the field that you love, but the project that you love, you don't really love them. It, you got this feeling of so close yet so far. But at the same time, I also want to stress out that Taiwan is in dire need of talent. We do have the talents here. They're here already. But uh, we also need to support it with better, as I said, producers or sponsors with more long-term vision who are not afraid to take a loss now to get a win later. Like maybe your first movie is going to be a loss, but your director is good. You know you can grow them into, into someone who can be a, a good storyteller afterwards. So we need more producers like this. We need more, more sponsors like this, more gutsy sponsors who are not afraid of, of taking some loss to get some big wins afterwards. So I would say for the talents of Taiwan, like try to weather the storm, like try to, to stick it out. Even if the, the, um, the environment right now is not the best, try to make still like good art. Try to make uh, as much as you can bring out the best art and the best animation and the best storytelling that you can with the limited means that we have right now. And at some point, if you keep pushing little by little, little by little, step by step, drop by drop, it will break even. Like like the, the animation industry will get to a point where uh, it's actually a really good place to, uh, to work. Okay, so. well, that is a future I look forward to. Thank you for being a part of it, JJ. <laughs> and thank I'm you trying. for coming Thanks. into the studio today. Thank you. Thank and you for having me. Thank you to you, the listener. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can listen to full-length episodes of Taiwan Talk wherever you normally find podcasts. And you can help us out, if you like it, by telling a friend. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Taiwan Talk. Until next time, I'm Trevor Tortomasi on ICRT FM 100. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can check out our other podcasts. We've got Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the news in Taiwan every Friday, English in the News, for useful English expressions explained in Chinese, and EZ News, spelled with the letters E and Z, for simplified daily news. For some lighter news in both English and Chinese, check out News Bites and News for Kids. And if you enjoy them, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.